0: You're listening to the Rosenfeld Review. I'm Lou Rosenfeld, and I am very excited to have my friend, colleague, a Rosenfeld media author, uh, a man about user experience, Christian Crumlish. Hi, Christian.
1: Hey, Lou. It's great to be here again.
0: Great to be here. You were just here not long ago. Uh, We were interviewing you about your new book. I think it's your third book or your fourth book, but it's your first Rosenfeld media book. Uh, product Management for UX People, From Designing to Thriving in a Product World, which uh, is an interesting book. We're not going to talk too much about it today, because, again, we've already had a podcast on that, but we are going to get into that intersection, because the intersections, in this case, between product and UX, are, are I think, where the really interesting things are happening, the, the best conversations. And you were just telling me about a conversation you were just Having, what was it, this morning?
1: Yesterday morning, yes.
0: Close enough. So this was uh, at Mind the Product? That's right. So what was going yeah. on?
1: So they're having one of their hybrid events, so I didn't have to go to London to to uh, host this conversation. But they reached out a couple months ago, I'm sure, uh, behind the book, asking if I might moderate a conversation about the relationship between product and UX. And and that's uh, a format that they play with where it's a almost call-in show type. You know, there's a, there's it's a video Zoom-like thing where people can come on and ask their question or just type it in the chat. And what's interesting to me is that I've been at a lot of events, I've been presenting teaching workshops, still largely to UX people as as the book, you know, kind of is aimed at UX people trying to make sense of product. And yet Mind the Product is a little bit of a mirror image community that that's product people who are certainly attentive to UX, but much more rooted in their own product backgrounds and this was an opportunity to ask them about uh really this this area of overlap and tension and and at times like uh sharp elbows or unspoken assumptions that a lot of people are addressing these days as they do UX work on product teams or as they are product managers trying to figure out the best way to collaborate you know with their UX colleagues and uh I was pleased to see that they're you know there's a sense that of having struck a nerve, you know, with this topic that I, I find um, the book is sort of helping to to bring it to a sharper focus. I think being out there as, as a talking point, um, but what you get when you when you raise this subject is a wide range of, of responses. Everything from I don't know what people are talking about. I love my team. We all get along great, to some fairly frank negative comments about colleagues that you get from people saying i you know i don't i don't like my product manager or i don't like my ux designer they 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 don't listen to the research or they want to slow things down or you you, you get these critiques and the most interesting thing to me is that it feels like the beginning of a of a long overdue conversation mm-hmm. uh, where people are finally saying the uncomfortable things out loud that you have to you have to actually get to the point where you're actually talking to each other even about unpleasant things or there's no way to really uh, sort them out, you know, and 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 I think a lot of us have been sort of bumping into each other With unspoken assumptions that haven't come to the surface yet So I just see this sort of pent-up energy and this desire to have the conversation Which which is pleasing to me because the idea of, of a book like mine is not to say here's the here's the template Here's the answer just do this this and this and your team will will thrive um, but more to lay out the idea that there's a lot of work still to be done in figuring out how we work together and that there's no shame in not having it figured out yet. That You're not alone in, in that situation.
0: So, I mean, about this fraught sense, I mean, like, uh, I don't know if this lines up with your experience, but, uh, and certainly you have a lot more than I do, but the, the sense I get from UX people, both designers and researchers, is that, um, you know, here we've sort of gotten established. We We kind of sort of have a seat at the table. We think we're in a good position. And then we run into... Uh, the whole product side of our organizations. And ultimately, those are the people who make the call on what gets shipped. They're the people who control the P&L. They're the people who um, basically trump a lot of what UX people are hoping to do. And uh, and there's a lot of overlap. And, um, you know, we have the sort of the advent of things like product designers and um, it gets murky, and it seems murky in a mostly negative way. And I'm wondering if that's what you're seeing and if there's a way through this.
1: Well, I definitely see those those things and And what's interesting is, having been on both sides and having consulted with companies and teams trying to figure out how to work together, it's also clear to me that 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 um, people approaching this from one side of the divide or the other see it differently. You know, we'll describe the same exact conflicts in different terms and that there's often a lack of empathy, ironically, you know, in in putting oneself in the other person's shoes or, or even doing the homework to figure out why, why do they say no? Or why do they take a position that I find, you know, problematic or challenging product people, you know, the scenario might be that, user research shows that the problem being worked on isn't really the right problem, or that the solution that we're trying to ship is actually not gonna solve the problem. And it's under it's human nature for maybe the product person at that point to be sad to hear that, you know, that uh-oh, and maybe to be in denial and say, I don't agree and push back. So um, now if you did all the research and you're trying to save the project and, and you just get a gatekeeper telling you, we're gonna plow ahead anyway, that's very very frustrating, and so the, the the inability to persuade or to make the case, or to put things in terms that the other person values the, the counterpart, cause a lot of these problems. I think. Um, now, I mean, it also ranges from really dysfunctional teams with 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 unclear leadership, um, or say a, a brand of product management which is really just ticket taking from the bosses. You know, it's a kind of a It appears to be a boss, but it's really more like an overseer, you know, like Mm -hmm. a person cracking the whip or making people row faster. Uh, That person often doesn't feel like they have a lot of agency either. They're just taking assignments from on high and passing them along. But they can certainly feel very oppressive to a UX person working in that environment. In other contexts, UX people feel like the product person is a gatekeeper. And yet if you talk to the product manager... They'd say, I don't, I can't make anything happen. I just have to persuade people. I just need to make the case. Mm-hmm. And yet there still appear to be sort of a, you know, between between what the UX person wants and and what's actually happening. Um, I absolutely think there's ways to get these problems addressed. Uh I, I think that gatekeeper frustration, you know, the, the UX person should eventually be able to look at their product manager as an ally, as a as another person on the team who's deeply concerned with the the you know the value of what of the experience being designed for for the, the customer, whether paying customer or the target user, whatever you want to call that person. There's an incredible amount of shared, uh, you know, goals, and, and 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 you you succeed or fail together, honestly. Mm-hmm. And so the dysfunction isn't helping anybody, um, but it does involve. I mean, to get through it, people have to be vulnerable. You have to have situations where you can talk about difficult things, uh, admit that you might not know it all. Uh, that the other person might be bringing something to the table that's valuable and has to be reckoned with. And you have to learn how to negotiate.
0: Well, I mean, it seems like one of those areas that's perfect for some sort of people skills boot camp, uh, it, but it is but it is more than that really, right? I mean, aren't there very sure. concrete areas where um, they may be wrestled over right now, but actually they're, they're great opportunities for product and UX people to collaborate more more effectively.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think product discovery, as, as part of people like to call it, or or, or just general use, user research is, is a great example of uh, a, a realm of, of huge potential. If you get alignment there, if you can kind of pull together on what are our research questions? What are we trying to understand? What's the best research modality? Um, you know, if a product person can allow the expertise of the UX researcher, uh, you know, to, to help support the goals, and, and if the UX researcher can allow that the product person has strategic responsibility and access to a larger sort of business context, um, and they can figure out a way to sort of drop some of the assumptions they have about each other's methods, then you can you can very powerfully kind of put together a research agenda and and, and figure out what needs to be de-risked and what you can sort of just go ahead and test in the wild and things like that. However, t- today, you that's one of the greatest areas of complaint and frustration. And I've found that, um, say, when I teach workshops to UX people on how to, you know, function better in a product environment, nearly half of the people who come are researchers and and they and often researchers in leadership roles, you know, who are starting to think about product management as being the the reins they have to grip to actually get in charge of discovery and stuff like that. Um, but it just tells me that there there's there's some unfinished business there in making the case to each other that we're really doing something that's part and parcel of the same thing and we should not be at odds with each other.
0: So, um, now, you out there who is listening, um, we think this is probably uh, uh, an area that's of concern for certainly many of you listeners. Uh, and Christian and I have a kind of a special announcement to make that might speak to you, but you're going to have to wait till after the break. Yep, you're listening to The Rosenfeld Review. We'll be right back. Hey, it's Lou. Surprise, surprise. And I'm here to let you know that the next Rosenfeld Media Book is coming out on November 15th, but you can buy it right now. You can pre-order it at over 15% off. What's the book? Deliberate Intervention, Using Policy and Design to Blunt the Harms of New Technology, written by Alex Schmidt, a person who's got both great writing credentials uh, and is a designer now working in the public sector at the uh, Federal Reserve Bank uh, right here in New York City. It's a book on an intersection that's really important. Designers really have to understand policy as a constraint, uh, sometimes a good constraint, but always a challenging constraint. And what we can do with that constraint, whether it's understanding policy well and how it gets created, understanding tight policy constraints, looser ones, understanding how we can even work our way upstream to become part of the process of designing policies, and all together with the goal of reducing the harms that technologies uh, are unleashing on the world. So I hope you'll have a look. Policy, design, fascinating intersection, excellent writer, Alex Schmidt, and the book, Deliberate Intervention Using Policy and Design to Blunt the Harms of New Technology. It's a two-waves book, a Rosenfeld Media imprint, and you can get it, pre-order it now for 15% off at Rosenfeldmedia.com. Welcome back to the Rosenfeld Review. Uh, we made you wait a little bit. Um, the big news that you are the first to get to hear is that um, a new conference is uh uh, uh, coming around the corner, around the bend, December 6th and 7th. It's actually a one-day conference on the 6th with workshops on the 7th. It's called Design in Product, and it is uh, curated by one Christian Crumlish, and produced by Rosenfeld Media. So that's our big news. And Christian, I'm so excited because you just, in a very short amount of time before the break, ran through... The guts of uh, a whole bunch of conflicts and frustrations, but a lot of opportunities and and things to be optimistic about. And uh, that's what we're trying to do with this program, uh, which is still uh, coming together. Uh, and I know it's not much time. I'll talk about how we're going to deal with that later. But um, well, tell us about the program. What's your vision for what UX people and maybe product people who attend as well are going to get out of this?
1: Sure, and and I think uh, if I have the branding correct, it's it's it will be part of the Rosenfeld Futures. That's uh, right, series. the first one. Yeah, and and and, I, and I, I like that framing because it's you know certainly you know you're the you've got some well established conferences. I've talked to people out by the way in, in my travels and. A lot of folks are looking at the way Rosenfeld is 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 uh, managing hybrid conferences. The the cohort ideas that you shared. There's other people paying close attention to that. You should know you're, oh. you're a trailblazer in cool. this area as well. Um, and uh, and and so those topics of you know things like design at scale, etc., have have been around for a long time. They're quite mature. The conferences themselves have evolved. You know from the originally the completely in person, and then pandemic, and then hybrid. And and so there's this lots of learning from that. I, I feel like this Rosenthal futures kind of model that we've been talking about that you sort of shared with me is, you know, a way of trying to catch things that are, that are emerging and becoming more salient, but don't necessarily have the, the long and deep footprint of some of these other topics. And that therefore we want to kind of catch them on the volley and, and try to do, uh, you can talk more about the process. I, I know that, mm-hmm. that that's something you want to get into, but, you know, sort of catch things while they're ripe. There's this sense, as I said, that this conversation is overdue and to provide an opportunity to crystallize it or bring it out into the into the public sphere and have have us like product and ux people talk to each other honestly about how do we view each other and and how is it working and what could we do better there's no time like the present for that um so absolutely i i'd, I'd love to see both product and ux people attend certainly we reach ux people more easily yep and and you know that's our home ground But we're looking for we we're, we've got speakers lined up who come from from both backgrounds and who are quite intelligent about the, the these areas of overlap and conflict, I think we're going to be able to address, um, you know, both things more kind of at the craft and how you do it level and also things sort of more at the ch- strategic um, you know what is product sense? So what does that actually mean to a UX person and and how do you lead in a product environment no matter what your kind of uh, fundamental training is in. Um, uh, we're not going to pull punches. I mean, I think I think some of our presenters will, talk about where where there's problems and gaps where ux people are are maybe doing themselves a disservice i think it's comfortable to say we're you know we have the answers as other people have the wrong model and we just need to teach them about ux and and then things will go back to the way they were supposed to be it's a little bit more wise to say hey maybe we don't know it all and maybe Mm -hmm. we could be doing a better job uh, in this environment of making the case for what we do and 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 making our services more salient to the people we want to work with um I think we are also, you know, it's a one-day conference. It's remote. We're we're very conscious of the idea that carving out a day and then, say, being in front of a screen is itself a, a tricky, you know, sort of environment to 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 stay attentive to. Um, so the last thing we want to do is just have a wall of people talking to you all day long in 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 a lecturing environment. We're I think uh, trying to come up with some very interesting um, different formats, uh, interactive formats. Uh, variety in, in, in the way the material is presented um, so that you know it, it should keep folks interested and, and be snackable and, and have room for reflection. Um, it's a challenge. We're setting ourselves a big challenge, I think to try to pack a lot into one day without tiring everybody out. But uh, it's an interesting challenge and I think the combination of maybe having some things uh, already uh, pre-recorded video and then having sort of the live you know, uh, orchestration of the event, is one way to do that to, to preserve the sort of the feeling of of um, of an in-person event uh, without you know accepting the fact that we're we're doing this in a hybrid environment or a remote environment.
0: So you know, in terms of some of like those uh, meat and potatoes uh, challenges that uh, uh, UX people can help product people grapple with, uh, uh, what's some of the examples of that uh, that we that well, we have presentations probably- on?
1: Sure. So the thing that comes up quite often that I know we're going to have at least one person speak to directly is um, it's often framed, at least from the UX side, is how can research influence the product strategy or the roadmap? You know, it's often uh, comes across as a pain point or complaint. I do all this research. I, I have all these findings. I produced a deck. I presented it and then nothing changed. It didn't. The roadmap didn't shift. Nothing. You know, nothing was changed in the planning. So we're definitely going to have some, uh, like I said, at least one person speaking to that in practical terms about how do you actually communicate and present your findings, and how do you understand how things are received in a way so that so that you don't set yourself up for failure. There, um, I think we'll we we'll also uh, be looking at some of the specific product uh, management responsibilities that that have not traditionally been part of what a UX designer or or researcher or strategist had to consider, um, you know, the, the, the numbers, the data, the mm-hmm. the money, things like that. I think, uh, certainly I, I feel like I came up uh, w- when I had UX or UX related titles, I didn't, I didn't touch the money. You know, I, I, I was not responsible for growth, um, or other metrics. And I wasn't often informed about, say the impact of my designs on, on those, on those goals and those metrics. Um, and uh, maybe ignorance was bliss, and it helped me be pure and things like that. But I've come to realize that if you're building digital software products and in, in trying to ship them into a market, that success and failure are are measured in these in these numbers, and the the budget and the revenue goals and things like that are are major aspects of whether or not your design succeeds. That they're actually on some meaningful sense some of the materials you're working with, the digital mm-hmm. sort of substance that you're designing with, and to remain kind of pure and ignorant of, of, of the some of these hard data-driven facts doesn't help you do your best work and, 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 that, and that there's room not necessarily to turn into a bean counter or become a, a product manager full-time but to be sensitive to the fact that that's a really important consideration and to have intelligent conversations with your product counterparts so that you can make a strong case for one no this is a time when the user's needs matter more and it's affordable to do this against our other priorities. You know, it just there's a there's some room there to learn the vocabulary and the concerns of product mm-hmm. uh, in order to do UX more effectively.
0: Well, I, I mean, I, I think that's it's such an important point that, uh, you know, product people have all kinds of responsibilities and, and uh, challenges that are not normally associated with what UX people have to tackle. It's not a perfect overlap. There's an intersection, but it's not 100%. And I would love for uh, this event to, in a small way, lead to product people saying, well, oh, we need to UXify those things, That's those right. things that UX people don't normally get involved with. And by doing so, are really going to help cement the value of UX for product people and also help UX people understand the challenges that product people have to face. So... I'm really excited by this, uh, if it's not obvious already. (laughs) Um, So, you know, one of the things that we are um, trying to do a little differently, and and Christian, you mentioned it's this, we're calling it like the futures format. Uh, If you know anything about our conferences, uh, they are major productions. And by that, I mean not just like what you see on stage, but what goes on like in the six months before the thing happens. Uh, So uh, we pay uh, teams of curators to keep a conversation going in a usually uh, Slack-based community with monthly meetings and uh, presentations all year long. And we see the conference as a polished snapshot of that conversation that's going on in the community. And then our curators do usually two or three months of research and CFP, a call for proposals design, instrument design and reviewing uh, sometimes uh, close to a couple hundred submissions to speak. And, you know, it, it's a huge undertaking and it's an expensive undertaking. Now, with topics like this that um, are more timely, whether there's uh, points of pivot or things that are just new and need to be explored, it's really hard to do that six months of work and have a community in place already where to have that conversation about what ends up being a, a conference program. And so in this case, we're, we're doing an experiment. And Christian, I'm really grateful that you're willing to try this with us. Where instead of spending the months and months doing the program design and having an a, a extensive call for proposals and so forth, we're doing a very abbreviated version of that where... Um, We're working with an expert, you, who is also someone who um, not only shares a lot of the same values, but has extensive contacts in the industry and um, working uh, to, to identify speakers through our shared networks, but also to ask around and asking a lot of people in the field who are voices that they recommend that we know about, that that should be surfaced, that represent underrepresented communities. And it's it's a different way to, to skin the cat than what we would normally do with more open research, extensive research, and uh, going through a CFP process. But we think we can have a similar outcome in terms of quality and diversity. Uh, then we go into a kind of more normal process that we use with our conferences, where there's a couple months of speaker preparation, and uh, they do that in cohorts. That's maybe going to be a little abbreviated in this case, but we're going to have those speakers working together, hearing from each other, understanding each other's ideas, helping critique each other in an iterative way so that ultimately the program is really well integrated and cohesive and has a, a clear narrative arc. So, um, yeah,
1: I think there's a goal to see whether we can kind of Produce the same results or or comparable results that you've managed with what we've learned with a, within this case a somewhat telescoped or truncated version of the process. I'll confess it's somewhat intimidating, particularly making sure that we have sufficient outreach that we're including you know diverse voices and and, and listening to people from you know outside of say my immediate network your immediate network. Um, that's something that we you know we definitely will be welcoming and looking for. Um, that input just because uh, that's one of the things that, that the benefit of the longer process has certainly proven um, and we don't want to lose that in, in this version of what we're doing. Um, yeah
0: Well, I mean, you know so yeah what that's what keeps me up at night too, to some degree and that's um, you know, uh, it's just something we, we it really is an experiment. Uh, You know, I I mean, it's funny, sometimes I talk with people and they're like, oh, you know, conferences, it's, uh, you know, uh, those must be pretty easy to put on and and, uh, (laughs) it's great business to be in. It is a great business to be in, but it's a really hard thing and it can be a very expensive thing. And I got to tell you, um, it's been obviously a challenging business to be in during the pandemic and its aftermath. I'm not sure we're quite at aftermath yet. You know what I mean? It's not been easy. Sure. And uh, so we have to be constantly trying new things, both topics as well as approaches. So I'm just glad we have the people and, and the support to do that. But, but um, one of the things that we try to be with all of our products is very open and transparent, whether it's books and, and uh, conferences as well. And Christian, I think it's safe to say that you and I are both very open to hearing not only ideas for topics and ideas for potential speakers for this conference, but just questions in general that we can uh, answer as best we can, or learn from people who want to weigh in about this whole concept of uh, design and product. So um, I'm reachable uh, at uh, you can DM me on Twitter, Lewis Rosenfeld. Uh, I can be reached on LinkedIn through DMs and. Good Lord, uh, if you want to email me, I'll even put my email address out there. It's Lou, L-O-U, at Rosenfeldmedia.com. I just threw down the gauntlet, Christian. You going to pick it up and do the same? Sure.
1: Yeah, people can can DM. I have to make sure my DMs are open on Twitter, um, uh, but uh, you can reach me there. I'm Media Junkie on on a lot of uh, services like Twitter, and, and even my shorthand on LinkedIn is under Media Junkie. Um, if you, uh, I have an email address that's already out there. I'm, I'm going to say it on the air. Uh, it's Xian, which is an abbreviation for my first name, Christian, at po boxcom So Xian at po If you want to just send me your thoughts or your questions, as you said, Lou, I feel like this is this event is is another punctuation in this larger conversation. It was sort of a moment, and the prep for it, the discussing it right now on on the podcast planning it, having the event, and then the aftermath, um for me are all ways to sort of fuel that conversation and and stimulate it and 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 drive it forward. So so yeah, it doesn't have to wait for December sixth to, to to start you don't have to you can start talking to us right now and and we want to hear it, and we' will, we'll field as much of that as we can in the event and in an ongoing way,
0: yeah, I mean, you know you may be listening to this podcast uh, long after the conference wraps. We'd still love to hear from you. Um, so I'll bottom line it. And then, um, one more thing we need to cover, which is a a little gift for our listeners, but I'll bottom line it here, new conference, one day event, plus a day of workshops. It's called design and product. It's taking place December 6th workshop days, December 7th. Christian Crumlish is our curator, uh, Rosenfeld media is the producer, um, uh, I've been greatly aided uh, by uh, our director of events and communities, Kat Meyer, has taken a real big role and is really, um, you know, it's been really great to see your creativity poured into this uh, event design. Um, it, what's the event about? Well, it's uh, an exploration of the intersection of UX and, and products, specifically looking at how UX people can, ha- can flip the script. And rather than having a contentious, uh, fractious uh, relationship with product, people can look at ways that we can actually help them through better UXification, if that's the way we want to look at it, and understand them better and um, look at, there's just so many opportunities for collaboration. That's what we're going to explore. December 6th and 7th, design in product, the very first Rosenfeld Futures Conference. I'm excited to be working with you on this, Christian.
1: Yeah, thanks for asking me to do this with you.
0: So, what's your what's your uh, your gift here for the Rosenfeld Review listeners today?
1: So, my gift in this case is to to just sort of talk briefly about a person who I met recently. I was at EuroIA for the first time. A longstanding goal of mine was to go to EuroIA and speak there and um and as some folks may or may not know i i've been working for the california state office of data and innovation recently so taking product management to a government context and also I sort of uh, merging product management and service design and service innovation which which government sort of forces you to think in terms of that's an area of, of interest for me right now and um when i was at uh at um I I, I had the privilege of seeing um, somebody speak, uh, a person named Katie Arnold, who until very recently was the head of UX for the home office in in, in UK.gov. And for people who follow GovTech or Civic Tech, UK.gov is a trailblazer, set a lot of um, sort of uh, standards, also made a lot of mistakes in public, which they're they're open about. And and Katie told me some interesting things about how the first wave of, of playbooks have become a little bit um ossified and turned into sort of rule books that can't be changed and Mm -hmm. and the agility is gone and it's a lesson in winning the revolution and then becoming the new the new tyrant you know in the next generation afterward um but she gave a really interesting talk about uh really about humility in some ways that the the the, um, about ux people sometimes seeing ourselves as heroes superheroes and realizing that the savior complex puts people off and that if you come in the door asking questions rather than announcing your greatness and all the help you're going to give her deliver, um, you know, that you'll, you'll get much better results. And I just felt like she, she told a really interesting story in her talk. She's, um, finished with her stint at UK.gov and starting to do new things. So I I don't have a, a, a website or project to point you to, but I'd say she's a person to follow on LinkedIn, Katie Arnold. If you just type in Katie Arnold home office, you'll find the right person. And, uh, Really just a wonderful person, great talk, and somebody who I definitely plan to keep my eye on in the in the future.
0: well, I'm certainly uh, glad to hear of her and uh, that uh, the the u k digital service is really amazing in terms of not just what it's taught us, but it's sent its alumni to other countries right. repeatedly' who've, who've uh, spread the good word. and you know I agree with you they're they're not superheroes, but I think those people are heroes nonetheless, so oh, yeah
1: absolutely. It's oh, more just how you talk about yourself. You can still right. believe that you're a hero. <laughs>
0: there you go. Oh, Christian, well, you're one of my heroes. And I'm sorry, but oh, we have to end our podcast. Anyway, Christian and I are looking forward to hearing from you and maybe seeing you at Design and Product December 6th and 7th. Mark your calendars. It's virtual. It's going to be great. You don't want to miss it. Can't wait. Christian, great to talk with you today. Hey, it's Lou. Thank you for listening to the latest Rosenfeld Review Podcast. I really appreciate it. I would love to hear from you. And if you want to pop me an email, lou at rosenfeldmedia.com, tell me what you thought. Better yet, leave me the hell alone and post a review on your favorite podcast platform. Please feed the algorithm. It really does make a difference. We want to get the word out. If you like the word, give us a hand. And uh, while I'm asking you for favors, don't forget, buy books. Support your favorite local independent publisher. We happen to be one, rosenfeldmedia.com. All those great UX books are there. So, thanks again.